may be seated. So the kingdom is like soil. The kingdom is like yeast. But how is the kingdom like treasure? It is a story as old as time itself. It started when we started trading things for things. One guy said to another, hey, I'll give you five chickens and three bags of barley for your cow. And another guy said, well, hey, wait a second here. I'll give you two bags of wheat and one pig for your cow. And another guy walked in and said, hey, wait a second. Isn't there a way to say how these five chickens and three bags of barley are the same thing as these two bags of wheat and one pig? And money was born. And we've been obsessed with it ever since then. Figuring out how much we could get for our stuff. And out of that rose shows like American Pickers, Antique Roadshow, Storage Wars, and more. How much can I get for this watch that's been handed down in my family for generations? How much can I get for this first edition signed copy of The Lord of the Rings? But we didn't stop there because not only did we become obsessed with how much we could get for our stuff, we became obsessed with who could guess it the best. Come on down, Bob Barker used to say. And then kindly reminded us to spay and neuter our pets. So... (laughs) But anyway, all that brings us to the question, how much is it worth? These parables are rooted in this idea of money. Now, we know that the kingdom can't be bought with money. Simon the magician made that mistake when he tried to purchase the Holy Spirit, right? But all that being said, these two parables begin to beg the question, how much is the kingdom worth? If it's like a treasure hidden in a field, if it is like a pearl of great price, what is the value of the kingdom? And there's a few things we can use to determine value. So I'm going to take you back to economics class. I'm sorry if there's bad memories there. But first... How much of something is there available? Supply, right? And then how many people actually want it? Demand. And also, how useful does the item happen to be? So if we were going to play on this law of supply and demand, we could start with supply. The Lord is not in short supply. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us that God wants everyone to be saved. Grace is unquenchable, right? But at the same time, we look over on the other side and the demand isn't all that high. Why the demand might be high in this room, people aren't lining up in our country to hear about Jesus Christ. And so the demand is low. High supply, low demand. Doesn't that mean that the kingdom isn't worth all that much? But we know as Christians it has to be worth something, right? Why else would we give our lives to it? But can you articulate it? Can you tell me how much it is worth? We can't go to supply and demand, but we can go to its practicality. 
How useful is the kingdom? What problems does it fix? What ailments does it heal? How much is it worth? And if we were going to go down this trail, first I would take you to the fact that one of the greatest problems in our society is loneliness. People are distanced, especially in a time like this. Thank the Lord that we are coming out of that, God willing. But all that being said, loneliness is more dangerous to the body than obesity and can have the same effects on the body as 15 cigarettes a day. And I'm pretty sure this stat is pre-COVID, but one in five Americans report that they feel lonely. I still remember in fifth grade when one of my classmates looked in my face and said, Jared, nobody likes you. Nobody likes you. Do you know that feeling? The feeling like you don't fit in, the feeling like you don't have a community. When you look at your phone, like, why didn't no one call or text me? If you want phone calls and text messages, just become a pastor and your problem will be fixed. (laughs) But all that being said, God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. David said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He is with us. Amen. And not only that, he grants us the gift of a community. John said, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And not only that, we have a community to bear our burdens with one another. And we're not just loved because God has to love us. He actually likes us. David said, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Zephaniah said, he will rejoice over you with gladness. God smiles when he thinks of you. That sounds pretty good, right? But what about the fact that God can take our undesirable states of mind... And make them pleasant. He can grant us joy. He can grant us peace. Christ has overcome the world so that the unrest in our heart could be stopped. James 1 tells us that even in trials, Christ can give us joy. Peter told us that he can give us inexpressible and glorious joy despite the fact that we haven't even seen him. Weeping may tarry for the night, but... Joy comes in the morning. Amen. So is it the fact that I am known and loved? Is it the fact that I am joyful despite circumstances? Of course, then we've all heard the sermon, do you know your eternal destiny? I mean, that's that's what led me to get saved. I was so anxious about the idea of hell that I went and got saved on the fellowship hall steps of New Covenant Christian Community Church. And so is the worth of the kingdom the fact that, as John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Or Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from dead, you will be saved. So is the worth of the kingdom eternal life. But still, there's more. Because what about the fact of God's providence? 
For Christ promises us that we don't need to worry about our clothes or our food. After all, didn't God provide bread from heaven for this people in the desert? Didn't God send ravens on an Instacart run for Elijah when his tummy was grumbly? Didn't that happen? He has provided according to the riches of his glory. And even more than needs, we are told that if we delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Christ said, ask for anything in my name and you will receive it. So is the value of the kingdom that we are provided for. But wait, there's more because what about the fact that the Lord leads us to true knowledge and wisdom? Psalm 32, God will show us the way to walk in life. James tells us if you need wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. Because I don't think it's coincidental that, as John S. Dickerson points out in his book, Jesus Skeptic, that all ten of the top universities in the world have Christian origins. Eight of ten of them being founded specifically for Bible training purposes. Places like Harvard, Yale, Oxford. Or I don't think it's coincidental that nine of ten of the top hospitals in the United States, places like Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, and Johns Hopkins, have Christian founders. And it doesn't seem to be coincidental that the very reason you have the ability to read and write is because Christians had the burden to spread literacy to people, the very foundation of our educational system. So could it be the fact that the only reason we've advanced this far is because of the kingdom? But wait, there's still more. Could it be the fact that not only are my sins forgiven in Jesus' name, but he allows us to rise above our destructive habits and walk as he walked. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We have the victory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Our very own Don Osborne, Dr. Don Osborne, in his forthcoming book, You Can't Fall Out of a Hole, says this in one of his opening chapters. In 1975... The National Institute on Drug Abuse commissioned a research study on addiction treatment. It had just closed the Federal Addiction Treatment Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. After nearly 40 years of operation, more than 80% of their patients had returned to using drugs, primarily heroin. And at the same time, Teen Challenge, now known as Adult and Teen Challenge, a year-long Christian education treatment program had an 86% abstinence-based success rate with drug addicts, especially heroin addicts, unquote. So is the worth of the kingdom the fact that the Jesus factor, as these professionals label it, begins to have an effect in someone's life where they are allowed, they are enabled to rise above the things that they have held, been held captive by. What is it? Is it the fact that we are known in love? Is it the fact that we have the gift of community? Is it the fact that we have eternal life? Is it the fact that we can rise above sin? What is it? There's so much. There's so much. There was a guy named Roy who went to a Christian college. His story's pretty cliche, to be honest, because he met Sally in the second semester of his Bible class, 
And ever since, they've been in love. He was her Boaz, and she was his Proverbs 31 woman. And guess what? Roy is thinking of engagement. So he goes and sets a coffee meeting with his pastor, goes to the local coffee shop, and the pastor buys because Roy's broke. I have no idea how he's going to afford an engagement ring. But anyway, that's not part of the story. So they sit down, and the pastor says, well, Roy, tell me about how you and Sally met. So Roy goes into how their first date was to go see God's Not Dead at the IMAX in 3D and, and how great that was. But all that being said, he asks Roy, well, well, tell me what you love. Tell me what you love about Sally, Roy. And Roy started to list off all these things. She always encourages me. She always brings me snacks. She always supports me in my career goals. She tossles my hair in chapel. She dresses up really pretty for dates. There's just so many things, Pastor. The pastor sits for a second. Roy, can I ask you a question that's going to dig a little deeper? Sure. Do you love Sally, or do you love the benefits of being with Sally? Because Sally sounds like the real catch. Sally sounds like the real catch. Christ has given us so much in our relationship with him, but the worth, the value of the kingdom, is not found in the benefits, but in Christ himself. Because it's true, Christ does so much for us, it's great. But at some point, we need to come to the realization that the worth of the kingdom is not what we get, but is Christ himself, the source of all that's good. The true treasure is not all we get in the kingdom, it is the God who happens to want to give it. If we become fixated on what we get rather than on the treasure himself, we'll appraise him too low every single time. The worth is not defined in what we get. It is defined by our loving God for whom nothing is impossible. The things that we have listed only begin to scratch the surface of how magnificent our God, Christ Jesus, is who wants to blow us away with all of the things he can do in our lives. Our awesome Jesus Christ is the true treasure, the God who can do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. Christ is the true treasure. Christ is the true treasure. Not salvation, not joy, not miracles, not victory over sin, not wisdom, not being known and loved, none of it. Christ is the true treasure, the magnificent king of kings who happens to have the power to do those things and more. If there was an infomercial about Jesus Christ, it would go on forever because they would keep saying, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. I can't begin to tell you how great he is, but I might as well try because this is the loving God who wants you to know that you're known in love. This is the creator of the universe who wants you to have indescribable joy, the resurrecting king who wants to grant you eternal 
eternal life, the one who is the holder of truth and wants you to live the wisest life that is possible. This is the bondage breaker who wants to break you free of what has held you captive. This is Jehovah Rapha, the healer who wants to take your dysfunctional family and make it one that other people look up to. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has reached down his hand for us to connect with him despite the fact that we deserve rejection. But there's more. But there's more. We've struck it rich because he wants to give you a purpose. He wants to make you free from anxiety. He wants to heal your depression. He wants to bless you with community. He wants to redeem your marriage. He is the true treasure. He is the one of an infinite worth. So if the true worth of the kingdom is Christ himself, what is our proper response? What is our proper response? Twofold, I think. First, here's the thing with treasure. You have a choice. You can either go after it for the benefit you get out of it, the profit that you will turn out of it, or you go after the treasure simply for how magnificent it is, simply for how it captivates you, for how beautiful it is. You either fixate on yourself and what you can get, or you fixate on the treasure, Christ himself. So what is your fixation on in your relationship with Christ Is it on what you can get out of the relationship? Or is it on him, the king of kings, the true treasure? Because if you become captivated with Christ himself, you will get a more accurate picture of his true worth. So practice one, treasure Christ. Treasure Christ. We have to move from this fixation in our relationship with Christ from what can I get, what's in it for me, to what can't Christ do? How great is my God? We have to move from ourselves to a fixation on him. Let me give you a hint. If your prayers are mostly about getting to the point and asking Christ for what you need, you're still focused on you. Because the Christian that treasures Christ praises him for who he is, wants to listen to what he says to him or her, wants to focus on him and his will in prayer. If you've not changed much after you said your sinner's prayer, then you probably don't treasure Christ. If you're more fixated on what you want Christ to do for you than what he wants to do in you, then you might not treasure Christ. If you're in worship and you're more fixated on how the worship set didn't get your spiritual feelings flowing the way you wanted to, then you are on bringing glory to the King of Kings. You might not treasure Christ. It's a movement from what can I get to what can't Christ do, from what's in it to me, for me to how great is my God. The Christian who treasures Christ wants him to inhabit their whole life, doesn't just want a piece of his benefits, but wants him to consume all of their life. Christ in the morning, Christ in the evening, Christ in my marriage, Christ in the workplace, in my hobbies, in my family, Christ in my eating habits, Christ in my emotional health, Christ everywhere and anywhere around me. Is there anywhere that you haven't invited him to do a work, to show his value? because I promise you he can. 
because of who he is. Our walk with Jesus is a continual realization of how much more he is worth than what we thought yesterday. The longer you walk with him, the more you should become entranced on how much of a treasure he is. So practice one, treasure Christ. Practice two, share the riches. Share the riches. What I notice about these two men in these parables is that they're greedy. They want the prize for themselves. He goes and hides the treasure so he has time to go back and buy it. He goes and sells all he has so that he can get the pearl of great price. There's only enough for me, is the thought. But the, here's the thing with Christ. There's more than enough for everyone. You don't have to harbor him. He is never going to depreciate. He's never going to run out of value. In fact, when you share him, he seems to become richer. But oftentimes, when we try to share Christ, it can feel like taking a prized heirloom to a pawn shop, and the owner says, we don't buy those here. That doesn't have any value here. Because people don't see the value in Christ. In the 1970s, a guy named Gary Dahl had an idea for the greatest pet in history. It wasn't a very good swimmer, but it could travel easily. It could easily learn to play sit, stay, play dead. You didn't have to feed it. It didn't make any noise. It was the pet rock. And it was sold for $3.95. At that time, about $20 in today's money, they sold 1.5 million rocks. How was Gary able to get 1.5 million people interested in a rock? He changed their perspective. He helped them to see value where they couldn't see value before. Now, ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who does the work in people's hearts that we encounter. But I wonder if we were able to articulate how valuable Christ is in a different way than they are used to, that maybe people might start lining up to hear us share the riches of Christ with them. And the only way to become the best communicator of the treasure who is Jesus Christ is to treasure him each and every day as he invites you in the new depths of how great and magnificent he is. The one who treasures Christ is always finding new worth in him each and every day. And so now as we move into a time of communion, if you're online, get those elements ready. But if you're in the room and you didn't receive a communion package, raise your hand and our ushers will bring those to you right now. Christ, our treasure, gave us this meal to remember him by. And today it prompts us to do two things. One, to treasure Christ, the source of the body that was broken for us and the blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he meets us at the table in this very moment. He is present among us. May we fixate on him and may he whisper in our ears what area in your life he wants to show you new value of him that you have not experienced. What area of your life he can do miracles that you haven't yet let him touch. Second, 
I think when we come to the meal, not only do we fixate on Christ, but we also realize who isn't at the table, who has yet to know the riches of Jesus Christ. And so as we partake in this meal, there will even be a time for you to listen to the Lord as he speaks to you who it is he wants you to share this riches of himself with. Because when you share him, you become richer in him. Amen. Let's pray to consecrate these elements.